Welcome to Brew Theology. Today's discussion is the Climate Apocalypse 101. This podcast was recorded earlier on a beautiful summer's night on August 14th. Due to some technical difficulties, we have not been able to process it sooner. So enjoy listening to the crickets and remember what it was like to enjoy an evening on the deck as you listen to this over hot chocolate and the tunes of Christmas carols. Hi, I'm Caroline Jane Miller. Welcome to Brew Theology. Thank you, Caroline Jane. That is my oldest daughter. She's going back to school. By the time you listen to this podcast, she may have been in school for a whole month. Woo-hoo! We have not sat down here in six, seven weeks to do a podcast, but yet because of New Jersey, Altruist, and Wild Goose, you've been listening to podcasts all summer long. So That's right. And we want to thank both Baird and Vince for doing all the cleaning up of all the editing and all that kind of yeah. good stuff. I It's so, so beyond me. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys on many levels. Thank you very much. Uh, we are, by the way, at Brew Theology at Facebook and Instagram, Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. BrewTheology.org is the website where you can figure out how to partner and sponsor and all that good stuff. So tonight we are talking about the apocalypse. And we're not The Walking Dead, not any of those horror films, but something called The Climate Apocalypse 101. So this is also a, it's a hard topic. Just going to start off with that. And then I'm going to lead into the fact that like this is going to be a little funny as well. Because we've realized that after we had this conversation for two weeks in a row, we have to throw in some humor. Thanks to the person that we're interviewing tonight, Reverend Jessica Abel. She's able and willing to have this conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and good to have you, Jessica. But seriously, folks, tip your waiters. <laughs> yes. And Elizabeth is back on the podcast as well. Woo! So I think we should start off getting personal. Okay. Yeah. So, Jessica, you weren't you weren't born into this a awakening. You weren't woke at birth. So tell us about your upbringing, your religious, spiritual background, and then how you got to this conversation that you said was so important that the Brew Theology community had to have it two weeks ago. Well, it's interesting because that's actually part of my story is that I don't remember not being aware of this. So in my household, you had to tithe part of your allowance. You had you got to choose where it went. It's a little harsh, right? But I didn't have Ditto to go to me. church. You got to pick where it went, but and you could save it so it had more impact. Um, uh, my parents are in the Peace Corps, right? So oh. like, I was conceived in the hills of Ecuador. They they didn't re up for another two years because my mom got pregnant. Was always the story I'd heard. Turned out to not be true at all. Actually, much more drama, of course, as things were more tumultuous. Uh, than we were ever led to believe in our parents' lives when they were actually, you know, young people. Um, so I'm a Gen Xer, right flat in the middle of that, born in 1971. And so grew up with the kind of hippie Sesame Street, Marlo Thomas ethic. I remember one of my very first memories of Sesame Street is the community garden skit, which if you really? guys have never seen it, then, then, then YouTube it. It's, it's really old. And it's like this disco song. They're going, cooperation, working together. Dig it. Cooperation. Yeah. And there's all these Muppets in bell bottoms digging flower beds and cornrows, right? And it's, it's, and I remember the ad of the Native American chief crying. I don't, I didn't see that on the internet. Like, 
I remember watching that on TV. We used and to watch crying. advertisements on TV. Yeah, that, no, so let's go back in time. And so um, let me just, yes. The millennials <laughs> and the digital age people are, what was that? No, no, we, we know that you know this is true, but you might not really have a grasp on the mechanics of that. There were no remote controls, for instance. Someone in the family was designated to go up and move the channel by hand. Um, so... I when so I grew up in Memphis, so we always had taken MLK Day off. Okay, I didn't know there was a controversy, and it became a national holiday because we'd always had it. And I won a Memphis City School-wide uh, essay contest for MLK Day, and my idea was to have kids all start at the Mississippi River and just make a big, huge line and then just clean up Memphis and walk east <laughs> until we got out of the Memphis city limits and just clean everything up. I was eight, so I can't tell you a conversion story. You were like, trash tagged before it was cool. Right. So you were like, another I can, Greta. I, right. <laughs> I can tell you when I realized it was my fault... I can tell you when I realized I had so much more power than I'd ever conceived of in the system, in addition to complicity. But no, like, like in my memory, my grandfather was a jazz fiddling, playing farmer. In my family history, he was a tyrannical dean of the school of music (laughs) who became someone different when he retired and began growing corn and soybeans and playing for love again, right? So that's a grandfather I knew who introduced me to growing things. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I had a farm life. I don't. I wish I had a nice dramatic conversion story. Like I, yeah, I don't. Like like my, some of my first early political actions are things like holding up a parish meeting from finishing business until we would agree to not use first use paper. Uh, so you were an early Greta Thunberg (laughs) oh I never had her sense of self in this fight like I guess even my ministry partner said to me today oh a shocking sense of naivete (laughs) to describe something that I said (laughs) so I think that I that I yeah I guess I thought more people would have gotten on board by now but we're we're, we're there. making we're them aware. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't know where to even start this except for the fact that Janelle, you posted something the other day. I think it was to Jessica's wall, and it was a cartoon meme, which are always fun on Facebook because at least to conversations sometimes. Yeah, you never know what kind of conversations. But so there's everything from you know gun reform to immigration to health care to education to voter rights debt. I mean, and there's all kinds health of issues. insurance right 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 it's this, a coastal scene right so, all so these- you see you see like think miami beach and 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 all the and the and the skyline of miami beach it's all all all, all highlighted with these issues that, that ryan's listing out so you know one is a, a high rise that says immigration reform or whatever right okay keep and, going and, and everybody's like keep going. holding their hand up like this right is- right they're all like this is the most important thing and we had two democratic debates already oh my goodness were they debates i don't even know what they were yes I finished them. <laughs> <laughs> hey i have adhd as well okay i understand two Focus. Of us together, this could be Me. really bad uh, i got a feeling i got a feeling so yeah uh, and then there's this massive tidal wave and it says climate change and it's about to just wipe out all the issues yep. so how yep. come in our specific western society that we live in which is very comfortable it's really, it's really great on so many levels that we love 
do we say, yes, let's fight against this issue, this issue, that issue, but then you've got this massive tidal wave. It's going to wipe out all the other issues. The other issues don't, they don't even matter because this one is, I mean, if we're not alive and if the, if the world around us, actually the world will still be around, it might not look like it is now, obviously, but humans may not. So, but why, I, I'm just kind of curious, how come, how come this issue is not an important issue? Let's just start there. Oh, it's an important issue. But it's, but, but it's not. No, 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 no. It's an important issue. But all those other ones feel tackleable, feel yeah. dealable with, feel like they can be managed, feel mm-hmm. like you could get the right group of people together and come to a solution around it. They feel like maybe we did it better before. They feel like maybe there's a certain way to do it better. Even the most hopeless things like gun control, we all know our gun-toting friend who just needs it to not be called that, and they still are fine with background checks, and they don't want Crazy Larry to have a gun, right? Like, there's so much... We just need to do the work, Is right? it because we can't, we can't see it? It's because we can't see it. It's because it's so big. It's because, well, there are a lot of reasons. But we can't conceive of, a, of even how the mechanics would work to fix it. Those other things, we can at least conceive of the mechanics. Exactly. That's part the, of it. The scientists <laughs> have told us exactly what kinds of steps we need to take, and we would have to believe them. I know it. And well, we do believe them, but we don't think we can do it. We don't think we can change. We don't think we can do it. And we think that we really honestly believe that if we just hold up and circle the dragons tightly enough, we can take care of our own, and we will, we will manage to create a lifeboat good enough to be able to, I don't know what it's going to be like. Maybe the SpaceX guy's right, and we all need to go live on the other side of the moon for a little while. I don't know. Um, I'm in. I mean, but... Yeah, you're right. Of course. Well, and I think the other piece of it is that all those other little issues, people don't seem to understand that those are all affected by climate change already. Oh, well, that's the other part of it. So because the warming is having physical effects on our health, it has mental effects, it, it impacts all kinds of things. And then the hugeness of the topic, which we feel we can't tackle... Leads us to scarcity and fear and wanting to It isn't to just that, but it, and, and so so obviously climate change will exacerbate the lives of the poor. And yeah. obviously there's a climate change aspect to all of these things. Yeah. But even more intimately than that, there are climate change reasons that are based in the same reasons we're having these debates. The same supremacist issues, the same patriarchal issues. The same adherence to domination system and violence issues, the same fundamental issues are being revealed and expressed in these multiple ways. And so so the poor the poor suffer double are in a double blind with climate change, right? Because initially, at least in America and in Many other civilized, <laughs> developed, uh, moneyed, um, exploited, I don't know what a good adjective there is, but in any other, some other countries, but particularly in America, the siding of our pollution can overlay the black and brown and vulnerable communities, right? It's called environmental racism. It's a little bit like bank redlining. It's very easy to see when you do the mapping overlay. So there's that. There's the actual poison and toxicity of climate change has been borne most by the black and brown and vulnerable frontline communities. Then there's the fact that their lives are made worse. For instance, we are failing South American climate refugees right now as yep. we're debating whether or not they can come into the country, right? Some of those people who are being held in Mexico and are trying to get into this country are fleeing floods. They're our tsunami victims that we're ignoring Right? They're on this continent. They've come over land to come to a place that's supposed to help. Yep. 
and we won't let them in because we've grouped them all in with this racist agenda, right? So, so the poor and the vulnerable and the black and the brown communities are poisoned on the front end and suffer most on the back end, all so that we can be more comfortable. And until we are okay with that reality, now you shouldn't be okay with it, but until you accept that that is the system we're living in, that is a description of the system that we're living in, then we can't change it. Yeah. I think also there's something about humans that love to see what's coming and block their eyes to it until the last minute. So like... Genghis Khan taking over the world, but he'll never come to our land. And then, crap, he's there and he takes over your land. Mm-hmm. And then look at how we deal with, a lot of us deal with our jobs. Oh, yeah, I got this deadline coming up, but I wait till the very last day to deal with it. And humans are notorious for that. We see it coming, but we're not going to deal with it until mm. we have to because it complicates our is life. Is it humans or is it white people, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think because it's human nature. I don't know. I know a lot of... Lakota, for instance, who talked to me about these deep rhythms repeating and these patterns. These are things they've been preparing for for a long time. I I know. I I think well, actually, they're aware. They're and that's I know you're not wrong. I mean, but I, I think it's I, and you deal with more men than I do. I think it's human nature, though, to want to avoid what we know is true until we have to deal with it. I, I don't think it. It varies based on what culture you're in. Maybe. Yeah. Not in my backyard, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. I know that even if we wanted to do something differently, we have a surprising and significant lack of ritual and structure Mm -hmm. to be able to do it. That is not the case in all, for instance, indigenous communities, but... Or communities of faith. It's one of the places where that ritualistic life lives at some level anyway. And hopefully in my world, we hope we can transform it to do some earth healing, some tikkun olam, as our Jewish brothers and sisters say. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a step Blessing back. of trees like the Buddhists let's, let's do. Take, let's take a few steps back. <laughs> sorry. I got no, a little no, intense. It's, I got it's a little okay. intense. Is, I'm sorry. Good, I go there. Just, just kind of like an, an umbrella overview, if you will. What's actually going on right now? What is the science? <laughs> and I... Okay. And I... Janelle I laugh, is, I laugh, is I laugh more well versed than numbers. Often, if but, 97% of scientists actually believe that oh, I can go climate that change end. and global warming is, is a real thing, then I'm, I, and you said this when you were with us, Jessica, you're not a scientist. You're in the ministry world. Same here. I'm like, hey, like, it doesn't mean I'm going to bury my sand. It's like, but I'm going to trust at least the ones who are professionals. And well, that's gonna, what's so yeah. extraordinary about the IPCC report, right? Mm-hmm. So let me just reiterate something I said when I was with everyone live at Brew Theology, and that I know Janelle brings up, the Parliament for the World Religions folks bring up, anybody who's kind of keyed into some of what's happening in eco-news is aware of this report. And this is one of the science things, right? What it did is it took all those projected models. This is, these are the things that could happen. Wait, what is the IPPC? The IPCC is the, inter- is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. It's a UN body. It's been meeting for a long time. It's been issuing these very scientific and fairly accessible in their 
in their summaries, these reports, and they, they actually specialize the reports. They do reports for policymakers, reports for educators, reports. It's, it's actually quite smart the way they do them. So they've been managing these models for a long time. And what they recently did in the last year and a half, what they did was they took all those models and they put real numbers in. They picked a finite point on the calendar and put real data in and discovered that everything was much worse. Much worse. Much worse than the Bill Nye science guy against the, the, you know, the other people and the John Oliver sketches and the stuff we've been talking about. Those of us who understand that science is real, the picture, the stark picture that the IPCC report, that's where you get those alarmist numbers like we have 11 years to change the world. <sighs> that kind of stuff drives me nuts. Yes, it means that certain timelines were crunched, right? But there are never thresholds like that. That's what makes that's what makes it too easy for things to pass. For instance, I remember the days of the beginning of 350.org, right? Do you guys remember that? Mm -mm. Do you know what 350.org is? Go ahead and explain it. Okay. So 350.org is a, is a program started, it's a nonprofit started by a man named Bill McKibben and a team that was attempting to get people to stop our behavior before we hit 350 parts per million particulate matter in the air, right? And uh, Copenhagen, UN, this is one of the IPCC things, the UN, UN Climate, uh, Kyoto Accords, all of these ways in which we attempted as a global community to get our acts together, right? From like the mid-90s, for a little while we were trying to do this with our, anyway. Um, okay, I'm sorry, I went down on an inconvenient truth in my brain. Um, what was <laughs> So describing the IPCC, what they did with the models when they added in the science. And my problem with thresholds and the 350 and backing up about 350.org. So there was all of this work, right? Like I did a vigil in my seminary where we rang chapel bells 350 times because we couldn't, couldn't believe people would let us get to this point. We're at, we're at what, 417 now? 412, so 417? So it's sitting... Um recently around 411 mm -hmm. but we have topped 415 in june right. of 2019 so these are the ways in which we're done so actually that this is why there's no point in being alarmist right like for your friends who don't believe it's real who cares who cares it doesn't matter i i, I mean from a practical standpoint, in Colorado anyway, we're going to figure out a way to live differently because we're an oil and gas state and it's not sustainable and they know it and, and people need to stop blowing up and people need to stop catching on fire and we have enough actual environmentalists and we have the freaking Rocky Mountains and we're going to figure out how to figure out how to save them and how to save this stuff. We're going to do it because we're going to figure out how to do it. And I don't care what everybody else does. We're going to figure out how to do it here, right? Because we have proven over and over again that we can do that here. We'll figure it out somehow. We're Come a very up with environmentally way. conscious state. We're very environmentally yeah. conscious state, but we're also very pragmatic, right? Like I've been speaking with friends about the importance, for instance, of vetting two, maybe three statewide energy companies that get to stay <laughs> <laughs> and make all the money in a while. And the rest of them, y'all need to go home. 
I only want people who will work with us to clean things up, to get away from fossil fuels, to be actual energy companies and who will help us make a Colorado that runs for Colorado. Right? Yeah. That's all I care about. I don't care about any purity test of getting rid of the fossil fuel industry. I want them around so they can clean up the mess they've made. Do you know how many thousands of abandoned and orphaned wells there are in this state? Thousands and thousands. Every time it's formally mapped, the number algorithmically jumps from what they said it was to what we can finally show it is. We have a lot of work to do here, right? It doesn't matter what people think. If water is more drinkable, like they'll see it. It's going to start happening at a level that the denial will be nonsensical, right? Do you remember the tsunami from five, seven years ago where a quarter of a million people died? That will become normative. Al Gore was right at the end of An Inconvenient Truth. The other thing that those of us who are over 35 need to understand is that everyone under 35 grew up, at least in America, grew up seeing that. Being told that the world was being was going to just be destroyed in fire and storm and then watch nothing happen. And many of them have already grieved the millions dead. And some of them are just going to get whatever the hell they can out of this life. And some of them are going to try to help heal it and fix it. And some of them are going to kill themselves slowly or quickly. They expect it. My son says that mm-hmm. his generation is most known yes. for the jokes they tell mm-hmm. about dying mm-hmm. because that's what mm-hmm. they want to happen. Mm-hmm. They well, know they we're screwed it. and they expect all this. They expect it. They expect the world to end in, in fire and, and, and they expect the climate apocalypse in the worst walking dead way that you're talking about, Ryan. They actually expect that. They expect it. To, they expect us to be vicious in this lifeboatness. They've never seen anything but viciousness, particularly out of older Americans. They've never seen anything other than take care of themselves. They've never seen anything other than that. And so, if you meet someone that age with hope, hold on to them and nurture it and help it grow. And if you are a Gen Xer or older and you have this sensibility, you must, I have been told this by enough young people, you must become the kind of bridge that helps them. You must. Yeah. Figure it out. Microloan. Uh, make sure they don't have to struggle more than they have to. They were born in trauma. This entire generation. All of them and younger. And then, then talk about the local kids who started with Columbine and then ended their childhoods with Aurora. <laughs> Anyway, let's not go there. Um, I, think, <laughs> but, but. I think an interesting bridge to that, though, is that it's because part of this from our religious backgrounds is our generation was was almost violently exposed to this end time story. Absolutely. That was not Faces only melted off. expected, but it was what was God's judgment and what we deserved in left behind. And so we are going to be destroyed and there's not going to be anything left. And there's no use fighting it. And there's no use fighting it because this is what God wants. And this is the way Jesus returns. And that's the way that this all goes. And so for our children and these generations to live in this space of nothing but annihilation makes a whole lot of sense. It absolutely does. And the thing about that is it's such a heretical perversion of the book of Revelation. Yeah. It's such an obscene 
reading of that book, that book that the people fought to keep in because it is a step-by-step manual for dismantling empire and because the image of the new creation that it lays forth, that it actually says in there in the book of Revelation, not the pretend thing that's in Left Behind. I don't know where that came from. But the actual book of Revelation ends with this incredible, broad, diverse beautiful, lush creation, including all of nations, right? Anyway. Well, I think I heard today that that's in committee in the White House, and they're going to revise that to just be white people. Right. Yeah. And when when I was in seminary, there was this conservative project to rewrite the Bible. I'm like, what? Like, you're not going to destroy my ability to read Greek. So go away. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I really, I learned Greek so I could do my own translation of Revelation and John. You're a Christian and you're a reverend within that tradition. So speaking to the... Anabaptist to boot. Anabaptist. So speaking to Mm -hmm. those, those people... Um, I mean, what, what what do you say about the about this? All of I it. say, okay, I say. So for one thing, this is part of that accept and understand thing, right? Like, it took me a while to accept that there were Christians for whom furthering the degradation of the planet was somehow furthering God's will. It took me to it took me a long time to simply accept that that was real. Hospital chaplaincy has helped me with this kind of thing, right? Because you just encounter somebody at the bedside and you have to deal. Whatever, um, whatever makes them feel right. better. It's real too in, much in my home around. church. That kind too of much of this around for us not to figure out how to transform it and redeem it, right? It has to be done. For instance, like how can I become and redeem the green dragon of the apocalypse, right? That the those people have named environmentalists. So I think it has to do with that same inability to accept grace it's that same god made creation and called it good it's that fundamental wound that needs to be healed and then that same world view and theology can become an ally in this work if that same wound that has wounded so many and is informing so much can be healed that's at the root of that that degradation of anything could further the divine is an inability to accept your own goodness, right? Yeah. And that's the message to break open that bullshit heresy. Sorry. <laughs> but, You're allowed. Right. It's, it's right. No apologies necessary. <laughs> because it is. It's so dangerous. It's so toxic. It's so fundamental. It's a fundamental common piece of all like fascist fundamentalism. Right. In order for any of those systems to work, whether it's like some of that toxicity you step in, whether it's that same toxicity of the evangelical church, that same toxicity of the Mormon church or or an extreme non-Islamic interpretation of Muhammad, for instance, you know, or the white supremacist Christian terrorism. Right. That we see, which honestly, you know, the people who shoot abortion doctors because they honestly believe that that's God's will. Right. Like, that is a horrific theology. Yeah. And somewhere in there is that wound of not being able to see yourself and the things in front of you as good. So I think that's that. I think we preach healing instead of trying to change them. A different way of being. Because they also love creation. 
they also, if you, you know, they also feel that resonance. We just speak a different reality to them. We don't have to tell them that theirs is bad. They can choose that themselves. Okay, there's this thing in yoga where you do this. It seems impossible the first time you see it as a as a student. You're like, oh my god, how are they breathing so fast and so hard? The thing is that you don't think about breathing in. You only think about breathing out. So the effect is this. And you're like, oh, I would hyperventilate. Oh, my God. But your body will take care of breathing in. Your body needs oxygen. Your body will take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. All you have to worry about is pushing out. That's all you have to worry about. Your body is going to take care of breathing in. And that actually is pretty applicable in a lot of places. <laughs> it's like kind of the opposite in this like we have to breathe in. we have to go in we have to be positive like there we have to present a different way that is just as adherent right it's right. not my job it's the red letter christian people in the young evangelical climate association and the like the people who speak that language but that's the wound to be healed and that and there are other people to do that we don't have to do that work janelle Okay. Thanks be to God, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm good. Thanks be to a benevolent Jesus. High five to God. We don't have to do that work. Somebody else can do it. But yeah, and it's got to be healed. But that's where that is. Because the book of Revelation is actually this incredible story. It's It begins with this imbuing and immersion of, of an acknowledgement of the spirit of places, right? Like the beginning of the book of Revelation says, I'm going to write basically the same thing, but like seven different ways to seven different churches because all y'all need different language. <laughs> right. To me, that's basing this vision in a relativism and contextualization anyway. So I don't know, Janelle. So you're saying it's not becoming, our work, but becoming all things to all people. So we have to reach mm -hmm. out to the evangelicals and the fundamentalists. We don't and have find to become all things to all people. But I'm somebody saying somebody can translate that. Find for a that. way yeah. to get them to understand the importance. Not of it. our work, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's find people in that world and say, and this is happening all the time, right? All the time, there are new evangelicals in this climate fight world. All absolutely the time, and that world is expanding. It's shifting. It's going to be the same kind of heretical thing, like a demonic possession, to say that that's true. It will. Left behind is heretical scripture porn, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and, I, and I guess I know a lot of evangelicals. They wouldn't use those words, maybe, but you know what? They would maybe say amen. Scripture porn, that's inside. my new favorite saying. And their silent prayers. I would, yeah. Scripture porn. Because, yeah, fundamentalism is one thing, and then evangelicalism is such a. It's such a broad spectrum. I'm evangelical. I used to, when I was yeah. Episcopalian, I used to call so myself I, a charismatic evangelical right, high church so Episcopalian. It, and people would be like, what is that? It's not a thing. And I, and I said, that means that I believe I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I believe I am called to preach the good news. I think liturgy and sacramental theology matters. And the Anglican tradition is kind of cool. Now, I'm American Baptist now. But, you know, the Anglicans are very precious, and they have lots of wonderful things. <laughs> I can send you to some good websites. <laughs> so basically, there is a bridge. There's always a bridge. Yeah. Well, is that like, a, is that like code for intermission? No. <laughs> <laughs> New beers. Like, I don't know. Should I, like, do the fish sketch from I was gonna turn the some Monty on. Python thing? 
So tell us how, I think this is one of the most depressing topics because we all know it's true. So tell us how we can have hope. Tell our listeners how we can have hope. I know, I know. Because it, Damn it. It's, <laughs> it is such a burden on our souls. Okay. So this is unfortunate, but this is true. These are our times of abundance. You better fucking get over that in some level and you can't bank joy. But these are times of rest. So get your whatever you need in order if you want to continue the work for the next 25, 30 years. Figure that out now. For instance, I knew this was my decade to get my body in shape. Now, I didn't expect my mother to die and tell me to lose 60 pounds as a grief response. <laughs> but I've definitely taken that opportunity to get my body as freaking strong as I possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> so I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like uh, my ministry partner reminds me that this is a time I need to learn to find peace in the chaos because I'm really comfortable with chaos, but I can also let it, like I can ratchet up with it and I need to not do that. Yeah. Right? So I don't mean to be dismissive, Elizabeth, because grief is real and lament is real and that has to be part of what we do because those of us who are aware now will need to hold some of this for others. Mm -hmm. Right. And like every chaplain I've ever known and every time I've ever been a chaplain, we will have to learn to let some of that go ourselves or it will destroy us and overwhelm yeah. us. Because when it's they real. realize it's true and it hits them, we need to be the ones that stand there and go, OK, like, yes, yep, who have already because we've been, been prepared. Yes. We're ready. For We're it. ready. So yeah. this is our time now. If you live in the Denver area, I'm starting some climate grief groups and I have this thought that Holy Week could become some kind of climate grief journey. Um, Lent. Which is the second week of April. So yeah, March and April perhaps could be some sort of intentional um, climate grief, climate lament. Because just forget particularly about the climate apocalypse. In general, one of the biggest things I've brought as a pastor and as a chaplain is permission to grieve for people, right? Like when you break up with someone or even in a divorce, that's a grief, a death of a relationship. When your cat dies, that's a for real, honest to God grief. When your car that you paid for with your very first job is squished by a semi, you know what? You get to grieve that car. We can have a ritual. <laughs> we can put that thing to rest because grief matters and lament matters. And the at least my scripture is full of it. It's full of people screaming at God. It's full of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, you know, Jesus said that from the cross. If Jesus thought that, how, I mean, you know. Anyway, lament really matters. So I don't at all mean to say that. And we have to, the, probably the answer is to figure out ways that work for you in an authentic way, that feel real, that you can learn to share. So some ways that are personal, some ways that are communal, some ways that are systemic. Like I really am interested in embodying a Winkian theology, something based in the studies and the teachings of Walter Wink about a really engaged spiritual warfare at a very sophisticated level of systemic oppression. 
but that's a whole nother topic. I think I think <laughs> one of the problems with humans is when we don't have hope, we stop acting. Mm, we will not take true. action. Right. But we can't even the yeah. smallest action. You are so right. You are one hundred percent right, Elizabeth. And and the way to find hope is to let lament burn through, yeah. to to let grief be experienced, to 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 honor that space. And one of the one of the places we see that in the Christian tradition, and I bet it's in other traditions as well, is when you're looking at a lament psalm. So Walter Brueggemann did this work a long time ago, but it's it's really true. He'll start with a lament psalm, and you can find lists of them that are focused on, you know, out of the deep have I called you? Where are you? Where am I? Like, But they always... And almost always, I think there are a few exceptions, but they almost always come back to the space of, but God, you are my hope, but God, you will redeem me, but God, you will rescue me. And, and then beyond that, you can take those lament psalms and group them with a couple other psalms and make sets of three that end in this place of thanksgiving. And yeah, like I think... I think we have to help people when they get overwhelmed and get stuck. We've got to help them lament and come through that to the other side, not to a place of fake hope, not to a place of, um, you know, Pollyanna, like everything's going to be fine, but a place of empowerment of, okay, now I understand and this stinks and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but... I still have choices about what I do, and I still have choices about how I interact with my government and oil and gas companies and who I elect and where I spend my time. And so what does it mean for me in this 80 or 90 years to start spending some of that time towards trying to change this? Absolutely. Instead of ignoring yep. it. Yep. Um, I, I always go to Psalm 88 because there is no hope in it. So I apologize. And, well, this is the yeah. There are a couple exceptions, <laughs> right? There's no hope in it. It's. I wrote about this on Spirituality Collective's blog, but several years ago, I wrote a piece. God has left creation, and the the editor of the online journal was very disturbed by that and changed it to "Has God left creation?" <laughs> and I'd intentionally written it. Of course, theologically, I don't believe that God had left creation, but it was a lament. Right. It was intended to be, my God, my God, why have forsaken me? It was intended to be, uh, <laughs> you have put my friends far from me. I'm in prison and cannot get free. Why have you hidden your face from me? Your blazing anger has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. Surround me all day long like a flood. They encompass me on every side. My friend and my neighbor you've put away, and darkness is my only companion. Mic drop. Right. And I think that we have to be okay with being there for a little while. And hope is kindled from a space that is clear. I mean, this is a new, a new form of redemption. That's probably too strong of a word, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh Because if we find ourselves at the bottom of that pit, when we're dealing with an issue that encompasses everything else in our lives, everything else in our planet, and honestly, in our solar system, like if we destroy Earth, that's going to affect other things. And so the redemption that comes out of that in real time is being able to stand up and say, but yet... All things are being made new and there are things that I can do 
And there are messages that I can share and there are actions that I can take. And while my actions alone, my electric car is not going to stop climate change, but my electric car does, because of my ability to, to buy that and do that piece, helps reduce emissions, helps bring down that CO2, helps pr- pull back from the terrible pollution we have in Denver right now. So I'm, you, And if I do that and, I, and 200 people a month go and buy that car and do that, it will make a difference. But it's because awareness and knowledge and acknowledgement like give us this space to enter into that despair and say don't give up well not just don't give Come up with me. but turn that despair into something else Come it is with where me. the hospice chaplain becomes the midwife yeah right this is the ending of all new things and the beginning of all things this is the eschatology this is right. my favorite right the theology of the end times the end the begin is, is is the already not yet yeah. Right? The end of all things is also the new Narnia. Oh, this is bizarre. It's like the already not yet <laughs> is such a paradoxical liminal space mm-hmm. that God is always mo- already moving, but we're not there yet. I mean, that, if that doesn't define climate change mm-hmm. right now, I don't it know. It is. We're living a, we're in living this global in eschatology. We're living in moments already not yet. We're living yep. in a theology of apocalypse and revelation. It's could be transformative like we mm-hmm. are entering into a decade in which we could change how humanity lives on this planet or we can destroy it or we could destroy we it. can do either or and i'm not a thresholdy like i started this whole like we let 350 come and go right because we put it as too much of a pinnacle it's important not to be 10 years or bust but it's important to understand that we have 10 years to get our shit together to at least establish the structures to make what we envision possible. At least we know, we know people will choose an integrative worldview when it's voiced for them. We know that people will make different choices when the pathways are available. We know this is all about routes and access and the possibility. People, the hopelessness and helplessness cycles are so powerful because there are not alternative models. So we have some time to establish some structures, to think about some ways to live in common pattern. This is why, apparently, I have a master's degree in city planning and a master's degree in divinity. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe we re-narrate Left Behind. Yes, maybe we, we re-narrate that. Yes. Instead of the story having to end and people being removed into this other place, why don't we start making a pathway to that other place through this? Well, that's what Jesus would do. One the kingdom of, the, of heaven is a hand. It's here. One of the things that gives me hope is um, that in the 80s and 90s, they were talking about the hole in the ozone, and we had already screwed it up so much yep. that we could never fix it. And then... Nations came together to ban CFCs and other things that were creating that hole. And the hole was healed because humanity came together and did something. Yeah, well, yeah. So that gives me huge hope. Absolutely, it should. And actually, talk about Bill McKibben. Wrote this great book, Hope, Human, and Wild. It's one of his earliest books. And it was an endeavor to kind of tell these stories of hope. We, okay. This is part of the apocalypse. All apocalypse means in Greek is a revelation, right? An, un, an, an, an unveiling, right? So the apocalypse is really just the revealing of these structures and gives us an opportunity to change them. In that, you know, shit's going to fall down. Excuse me. 
And that's part of the destruction of the apocalypse. Um, sorry, started thinking about a towering inferno for some reason. <laughs> Humanity, hope. What? Humanity, hope. A book. The oh, ozone. hope, human and wild. Bill McKibbins and hope. Shoot, I know before that. It's all, if only we were recording. No, <laughs> a hole in the ozone. It was fixed. Way to go, humans. Oh yeah. So all of this depends on the false narrative, right? That it's impossible. Oh, it's damage. It's unfixable. So we're going to have to burn the sun. <laughs> like we haven't seen the Matrix. Um, all of this is impossible. It's the same lie that tells us mm, nonviolent resistance is very sweet, but really we're always going to need an army. When the truth is, it's been nonviolent direct action that's changed the world over and over again, right? Um, so part of the apocalypse and part of our leaning into the apocalypse is is revealing these things, right? Saying, actually, actually, let's let's talk about what reality is just for a second. Let me make sure you understand that this is what actually happened, right? That these 17 best small liberal arts colleges throughout North America for Native communities are the original orphanages where they stole children from Native tribes. I mean, stuff like that. Or whatever. I don't remember where I died. <laughs> I, can you tell that? It, it is it is nice seeing that children today they they at least grow up in an awareness with education. I have a friend who's a political operative. Okay, so she she manages campaigns, she advises people, she does all this kind of stuff. She said the last midterm election for everybody she knew younger and like their sisters, friends, and that kind of stuff. It was like they were studying for a social studies exam. They came to talk to her ready with questions. With references, they knew the laws. They knew it was being voted over. They they wanted her opinion about how something would work out. They weren't. Who should I vote? They were like you said, Ryan. They were educated. They were ready. They were engaged. She said it was like they were studying for a social. She was tutoring them in social studies. Well, I don't think we're going to get away from that. See, you have. I mean. It's just by the time we'll we'll reveal this um, or this comes out. I mean, Greta Thunberg is taking a boat across the ocean I love instead that of flying. So much, and she's going to show up at the UN and she's going to give another one of her amazing speeches. Yep. And kids are being motivated by her action and her work to res- to resist, to get out there and demand attention and demand action. And absolutely, last two days I had meetings about our own regional and statewide climate strikes. So around yeah. the world on September 20th, young people are walking out of class. In Denver, some of our schools are organizing it because they know their kids are going to be there. Um, that's absolutely happening. We expect a quarter million people. It's going to be super fun. You should come down, right? It's going to be super big, super fun, super fab. Get on the light rail, come on downtown, um, take over things with people. Yeah, and that's something when we were all growing up, that would never you never would have never. seen that. It wasn't on our radar. Uh-uh. I don't. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. It's not bread and circuses. It's not. It's not stupid, and it's not nothing. No, there's a whole huge. week worth of responses and activities, starting with the youth-led strike on Friday, September 20th. And really, don't go to work. Come plan to stand with our young people wherever you are will this be out by then make sure I it's don't, out by it then. should be all right 
Day after tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to think about things like this 15-year-old who's like the Joan of Arc of of our time. Thank God for Greta. That all of... You are not... In the past, the people who've been the so-called prophets who made change were often religious. But now they're not often religious. They're people like this 15-year-old girl or they're people like the um, Muslim girl who was... Malala. Yes, thank you. These are the prophets of this time, and these are the people that we need to make change. Jeremiah was a teenager and would have been surprised to hear himself described as religious. Yeah. Don't forget that. Actually, we frame these people, like we play them in our church plays as old wise men, but Jeremiah was a young person, right? Jeremiah had no interest in becoming God's prophet. Are you kidding me? Daniel was a young... Daniel Daniel was a young person. They were all young, like... Timothy. Like, we have this... This is part of the lie. This is part of what we have to start revealing, right? Actually, part of our tradition as Christians, at least my tradition as a Christian, is that um, a child will lead them, right? Let, Let children come to me. That's what Jesus said regularly. That's one of the reasons why I worked for so long as a youth minister... And why I worked on the safeguarding God's people regulations, because our job as an institution and and our representatives of the gospel was to care for children and to protect them in proactive ways. Same way it is for our planet, right? Like Earth Guardians, Friends of the Earth, these are all indigenous-led, youth-led movements, Colorado-based. So you're right. I mean, it's about transforming into action, but it's also about being where you are in this. And I do want to bring up something I mentioned when I was with the group at Brew Theology, because I think this is the one of the biggest things that keeps people from acting, is that being overwhelmed by what's available and feeling like your tiny action won't make any difference, so why bother at all? It's a super easy little spin to get into. Super easy especially for those of us who are well-resourced white people, because we know, honestly, we're going to be fine. Which sucks. Right? We will need to choose to not be. And I hope we do. But anyway, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I agree with that, because I look at my children's life. My children are white. And... I don't see that they're going to be protected from climate change at all. I don't see that they're going to be protected. Protected from? No. But so we're, their lives are going to be affected by it deeply. Everybody's going to be affected. Yeah. I just mean, we don't live in the Maldives, right? Like our land isn't going away. We don't live in San Francisco. Our land isn't going away. Yeah. We don't live in Miami. Our land isn't going away. We don't live in Mobile, Alabama. Nolans. Our land isn't going away. We don't. Like, uh, Nolans. Nolans is will be no more. Nolans. But that isn't what I was going to say. Shoot. I spun down. Shoot. Thanks for listening. And join us for the second half of the discussion, which begins with that promised humor. You can hear Jessica, Janelle, Elizabeth, and Ryan all talk about the bugs they hope will disappear, and hear some more practical advice on how we can impact this topic. Here's to your listening pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.